We have been walking through the book of Acts, and we will continue there uh, today. And uh, I pray that in our time together today that, that the Lord would speak to you. Um, I want you to know this now, even, even today, or now in reference to the end. I, I'm not really sure how we're going to end the end today. I would like to be able to do something if it works out time-wise, and we'll see. But uh, this, is, this is what I know. I know that Jesus loves you. I know that he does. And I believe with all my heart that God's desire is that no man would perish and spend eternity separated from him. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that the Bible, to what the Bible has to say in reference that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there may be some of you here today that have never made that decision to trust Jesus. And today might be that time. That's a decision that you have to make. But I also know that maybe in the midst of our conversations that the Lord may speak also to some of you that have been believers for a long time and you've wrestled with some things in your life. You've, you've wrestled um, with another call, uh, another area of surrender. And it, there's just no telling what God may do as we walk through and as we, as we focus on the church on mission is ascending church. And so... Uh, uh, listen, man, I'm glad that you're here. Let's just start off in, in, in God's Word in Acts chapter 13, and let's just read what, what the Scripture has to say and Luke records for us. You ready? Acts chapter 13, this is what it says. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod and Antipas, and Saul, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, some of you say the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, and here it says, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. Verse 3, so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. So to this point, we have, we have made our way through, through 12 chapters in the book of Acts. And uh, if we were to say, if we were to maybe give a summary statement over the first 12 chapters, a summary statement or a, a phrase or a thought might be this, that it might be called greater. Okay? Greater. And you say, I say that because there was a point in Jesus' time prior to his crucifixion and the resurrection when he said to his disciples, and this is what it said in John 14, 12, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Now, this had to be really confusing to this time because up until this moment, everything that they had done, everything that they had experienced that had any value happened with Jesus. And now... And now Jesus is saying, look, you're going to do some greater things, not because I'm here, but because I'm not here. It didn't make an awful lot of sense to those guys, but in just a couple of verses, Jesus said this, which makes it a little bit more clear in John chapter 14, 15 through 7, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate in reference to the Holy Spirit, who will, who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you 
You, those of us that are in this room that are believers, those then that were believers that were followers of Christ, you will know him because he lives within you now and later will, uh, lives with you now, but later will be in you. Now, just as you read up front in the book of Acts, Jesus had promised them that the, that the Holy Spirit was coming. Do you remember this? And he said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power and you're going to become my witnesses. And what ended up happening, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit came and all of a sudden these ordinary men and women began to do some extraordinary things. And as a result, the church was not only birthed, but the church began to grow and it began to expand because the the believers begin to feel, fulfill the mission that Jesus had given them to go into all the world and to preach and to teach and to make disciples. And if you go back and look in the book of Acts, what ended up happening through the power of the Holy Spirit and because of their faithfulness to the mission, the gospel began to make its way from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and what we're going to see today to the uttermost parts of the world. This is what Winston Churchill had to say in reference to Acts chapter 13. He said that it became the turning point in the book of Acts. He also said at another place it was one of the hinges of history. Can I tell you a story? So I think one of the most difficult times in the life of a parent has to be when your kids get their driver's license. The learner's permit. Are we all on the same page? Mickey, you know what I'm talking about? I remember, you know, we tried to think about our lives. You remember getting that learner's permit? We were all excited, but we had no clue what our parents were going through, right? So I've had to walk through this two times, and now I'm on the third time. I've got the other one that's now in the learning permit stage. And uh, can be pretty rough. So not long ago... She said, Dad, I'd like to drive. I said, okay, baby. This, this wasn't the first time. I mean, she's driven before. I said, okay, baby. I said, you can drive. Whew. You have to give your keys over. You got to get out of the driver's seat, move to the passenger seat. And so you buckle in, and, and then it began to hit me. What if? What if I got to grab that steering wheel? So I leaned over to see if I could reach the steering wheel in my in my seatbelt, and I thought, well, that's not going to work, so I got to undo my seatbelt, and I could reach it. Then I got to thinking, what happens if I got to jump across the seat, and I got to grab the, put my foot on the brake? So I'm on pins and needles, okay, just watching. Just, just, it's just in case, you know? You want to be safe? You want to be safe? So we get on the road. We're on the way to the church house. We make it to the church house. And she looks over at me and she said, Dad, I just want you to know, babe, I was praying for you the whole way. <laughs> and I said, baby, that's okay. I was praying for myself the whole way. <laughs> you know, I, we, we, we laugh about stuff like that, but you know, it's, it's funny because we do, don't we do God the same way? I mean, think about it here, here, Jesus, you have the keys. You can have the keys to my life. You drive, you be in the drive. And we go to the passenger seat and we sit down 
And how many times do we go, I wonder if it's okay. I, I, I wonder if God's got it handled. And we unbuckle the seatbelt just in case God doesn't know what he's doing. You with me? I love what happens here at the church of Antioch. Because it wasn't a church, it was partially in. It was a church that was all the way in. And they were buckled in and God was fixing to take them on a journey. That was incredible work was going to be done. Because this church at Antioch would become a birthing center for ministry. So that being said, look at Acts 13.1 just with me again. It says, among the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch at Antioch of Syria. Now, I want you to keep in mind, and Brian sort of made note of this the other day, the only reason that there was a church at Antioch was because there were some people who had taken the gospel there. There were those people that had taken the gospel that never even understood the significance of what would take place and the ripple effect that the gospel would have there. And it happened because of their faithfulness. And because of their faithfulness, we sit here today. Think about that. Their faithfulness set in motion something greater, something bigger than ever would take place there in Antioch. And those early believers, they didn't go and tell others because there was a church growth initiative because the pastor said, listen, you need to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. It wasn't because of an evangelistic strategy that took place. They just took the gospel that they had experienced, they had accepted, they believed, and they shared it. They were focused on the message and the mission. That's exactly it. And if you remember back, back in Acts chapter 11, here it was the believers who were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. And after his death, they fled and they took the gospel with them. As they fled from Jerusalem, they took the gospel and the gospel went from place to place to place. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, or it tells us, it says some of the believers, some of the believers. Now we, we don't have a clue who they were. It just says some of them. We don't know how many there were. We just know there were some. He said some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Serene, and they began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was upon them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed, and they turned to the Lord. And so here was this church that was planted in Antioch as a result of the faithfulness of a few people that took the gospel. And it says that many Gentiles repented and turned to God. So here's word getting back to Jerusalem, what was taking place in Antioch. And they said, listen, man, we got to send you Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We're going to send you the encouragement to Antioch to see what's going on. Barnabas travels to Antioch to see what's taking place. He gets so excited about the movement that's going on. And he goes and he gets Saul to say, look, you got to come back and help me. And it was there that they would stay for the next year, discipling these new Believers, but don't miss this. There would not have been a church at Antioch if there was not a group of unnamed believers that went there to begin with. Are you with me? Just like Peter, these unnamed believers, they didn't exclude the Gentiles, but they included them. They colored outside the lines, led by the Holy Spirit, Fulfilling the mission that Jesus had given his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations. Here's Jesus saying, look, guys, here it is. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. 
And it wasn't a little bit later that the Holy Spirit comes and they became witnesses. No exceptions. No exceptions. We say this all the time. You can't, you can't be a witness of something that you haven't witnessed. I hear a bunch of groans. Think about it just for a moment. Logically, who in the world would not want to be active in sharing the gospel that had radically changed your life? Why? Why in the world would you not want to tell somebody that which has made such a complete difference in your life? As a believer, if we don't share the gospel, there's only really two reasons. Number one, we don't believe it's true. Or number two, we don't care about those around us enough to share. Can we just go home? I think we can go home after that, right? There's a lot of conviction that falls out of that statement alone. And so we've got this church, this group of Christ followers that had formed as a result of their faithfulness of these unnamed believers. And one person told another person who told another person doing exactly what Jesus had commissioned them to do. And we, so we have this church that is formed, and Luke goes on to tell us that among the prophets and teachers of this church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, he gives us these names, Simeon, called the black man, and Lucius from Cyrene, Menean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. So we've got this group of unnamed guys at one point that were on the front end of establishing the church at Antioch. We have no clue who they are, but now we have Luke mentioning the names of five men, five men who were leaders at the church of Antioch. And he provides this list of names for us. Let me ask you a question. Which group would you rather be in? The group of unnamed or the group of named? Probably the group of named, right? And out of the five guys that were mentioned, with the exception of Barnabas and Saul, we don't really know an awful lot, but we do know that there was a tremendous amount of diversity in their background. Let's just take... Take Simeon, for instance, a black man, a black man probably that was the one that the Romans enlisted to carry the cross of Jesus prior to the crucifixion. That's probably who this is. Or what about Lucius? We know that that name was mentioned in Romans 16 as a fellow worker with Paul and Timothy, if it happens to be the same person. And then Menean who was either a foster brother or relative of Herod Antipas and related to royal blood. Just so you know, it was Herod Antipas who was the, I think he was the grandson of Herod the Great. You remember the guy who killed everybody when the babies were being born and Jesus was being for the king of the Jews? Herod Antipas was also the one that, that had John beheaded. Isn't that something? Herod, Herod Antipas is also the one that, that they had brought Jesus to because he was in he was in Jerusalem at that time celebrating the Passover. Herod really didn't want anything to do with it. And so you've got this diversity of people. The leadership of the church at Antioch indicating that the church itself was diversified. It's a characteristic of the inclusiveness of the, of the gospel. 
In this, my opinion, we aren't told this, but I believe it's also a work of the Holy Spirit because what connected them was not the color of their skin. It wasn't the, it wasn't the language they spoke, nor was it their social economic status. But what connected them was the gospel itself. But out of these five men mentioned, we see Barnabas and Saul receiving this special calling, a calling beyond the call, a calling from the Holy Spirit. And look at what he says. One day these men were worshiping, worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, appoint or set apart or dedicate to me, it says, Barnabas and Saul for this special work to which I have called him. I want you to underline the word worshiping. I think that's a really important word here. Worshiping. So, so here they are worshiping and fasting, and the Holy Spirit comes to them. John Piper said this in reference to worshiping. He said, worshiping God is showing or displaying the worth, the worth of God. So we, we come up in a culture, we think worshiping God is all about music. It's a part of it, maybe. I know it's much deeper than that. Numerous definitions in reference to worship. I love the thought of honoring God with extravagant love and sub an extreme submission. You know the devil hates it when God's children worship? You know that? Because he knows what the end result is. He hates it. So he does anything he can to try to distract us. And you say, oh, Pastor Sid, I'd never be distracted. Not me. It's easy to take our eyes off of him, isn't it? And to put it on them or it. The coffee was too hot or it's too cold or the lights are too bright or the music's too loud or the, they didn't talk to me. It's easy to be distracted. Elections, politics, viruses, stock market. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? The devil, he's the master. Distracting us from what we should be focused on and keep us focused on that distraction. And it's easy to fall into that pit. And you know, when we fall into that pit, what we do is we miss out on the privilege of being in the master's presence. I mean, how many of us get distracted with stuff that has no eternal significance? I mean, think about your life this past week. What is it that has captivated your thoughts and your, just your mind in reference to your life, of things going on around you, yet it has no eternal significance? Yet, that's what your focus is. It's even on, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's even there this morning. You're not even focused on what's taking place or what God may be saying. You're focused on something else. And Luke said they were not only fasting or worshiping, they were also fasting. And I don't know what comes to your mind with reference to fasting, but fa uh, prayer connects us to God. We're, fast, we're fasting disconnects us from the world. Let me say that again. Prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Maybe you grew up and you were taught that that what fasting was, was suffering or doing without to prove your love for Jesus. No. What fasting is, is an intentional disconnect from anything that can become or has become an idol. That's what fasting is. It is anything that is taking priority over 
God. It could be food, it could be games, it could be hobby, it could be social media, anything else that has captured your time and your affections. We can define an idol as something, anything that we put before God. And I like this definition. Idolatry is the elevation of the gift above the giver, whatever that may be. And you say, well, I don't put anything before God, Pastor Sid. Sounds good. What's the first thing you thought of when you got out of bed this morning? What is it that takes up a majority of your time or energy? Where does your resources go? Hobbies, relationships, spouse, parents, children, friends, maybe it's a business or possessions or food or leisure. You know, what is it that comes to mind? And the question is, are we willing to fast that ever, whatever that may be, to set aside that which, to disconnect to the world so that we can connect to God? But here's the bottom line. What they were doing is they were worshiping and they were fasting. They were probably doing just exactly what we're doing here today. Jesus, we want to we want to focus on you. We want to hear you, Spirit. God, we want to be obedient to you. They're reading the word, praying, seeking the Lord. And Luke said in the middle of that gathering, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I have called them. Now, in, in the book of Acts, there are multiple places that we see where um, the Holy Spirit came and, and where it was, it filled people and where things took place in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way up here to 13. And now he's saying, Barnabas, here's a man full of the Spirit. Appoint them. Barnabas and Saul being called out by the Holy Spirit to be set apart and dedicated for a special work to the Gentiles. And it's like there's a calling beyond the call. I mean, there are those of us here that have, that have made the decision to accept the invitation to follow Christ, to repent of our sins, and to say, Jesus, we believe that you died on a cross for our sins. I, I want to commit my life to you. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to give up, <laughs> I want to give up the driver's seat of my life to you. But here's a call beyond the call. A call beyond the call to trust and follow Christ and to make disciples. But here's a call to a special work, a specific work. A call beyond the call. And here it's like the Holy Spirit are prompting these leaders to appoint Barnabas and Saul for this special work. Now this can make us really nervous. Really nervous because we think to respond to God, we've got to know all the details. Mm -mm, no, it doesn't really work that way. Doesn't work that way at all. I mean, I see instance after instance in the scripture as well as my own life where it's not, it's not about knowing the details. It's just about availability. It's about submission. It's about surrender. As a Christ follower, we accept that call. We accept that invitation to follow Jesus. We repent of our sins. We place our faith in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross that he paid the price for our sins. And as a result of being uh, a part of God's family, every one of us have the responsibility to be on mission and sharing and be active and not only making disciples, but making disciples who make disciples. That's 
Listen, every one of us in this room are to be involved in that if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what we've been commissioned to do. That's what Jesus told us to do. But in this passage today, here's here's Barnabas and Saul being called to a special work. The invite beyond the invite. The invitation beyond the invitation that was given by the Holy Spirit. And they were to be set apart for this special work. To take the gospel further than it had traveled up until this time. You know, um, I, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus when I was six. I don't, I don't know when you made that decision, but I recognized at the age of six years old that, number one, I was a sinner. And I had people that invested in my life Steve, that told me, listen, man, you can't do life alone. You don't want to be separated from God. And the only way you can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ and believing what he did on the cross for you. And I remember at six years old, I made a decision to accept that call to trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. But about 14 years old, I knew, I knew in my life that God was calling me to something more. I knew that I knew what God was doing, but I didn't want to do that. I mean, there was God's plan, but but I, I had my plan. Okay, I had the things that I wanted to do. I, I didn't. I understood, man. I listen. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Jesus, I don't want to do that. So I ran from God, but God didn't run from me. And through a series of circumstances, 17 years old, off at college, here I was faced with a decision. Was I, going to, was I going to follow that call? I had a church that in, that it's 17 years old, not knowing me from Adam's house cat. And I don't know, what does that mean anyway, by the way? Anybody know what Adam's house cat means? Y'all have heard that statement. Somebody, if you listen, if it's something bad, don't tell me, okay? <laughs> but they didn't know me. I had sang a, a, a Sunday there at church, but they didn't know me. And it was in a very short amount of time, like three weeks later after visiting this church, they came to me because their minister of youth and music resigned and asked me, a 17-year-old, 17-year-old, if I'd be willing to take that position. They must have been crazy. I mean, we think in our terms today, we go, that's ridiculous. I mean, we've got to have a paid professional to do something like that. But here's this church saying, We see God doing something in you. Would you be willing to do this? And you know, I had to have a lot of conversations with God. And I was, man, I was young and I didn't know anything. And I still don't know an awful lot. But I did the best I could. And I just said, Lord, man, if you're involved in this stuff, would you help me out? Because I need to to have a sign. And so I sat down that night with, with God's word. And I opened up. First Timothy. And the first passage I read that night was don't let anyone look down on you because of your youthfulness, but set a, an example for all believers. In life, in what you say, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And that night I, I knew again, I'd asked for it, Mike, and he, he gave it to me. And I not understanding, not knowing what it meant, 
not knowing all the details or where it would lead, I said, Jesus, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do that. And I wish I could tell you that that was the end of my wrestling, but this is what I, I can tell you. Along the journey of my life, there have come these moments in time where I've had to say, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not, Lord, not my agenda, but, but your agenda. Every, every step of the way in my life, it's been about availability. It has. And I'm, I'm telling you guys this because I wonder how many people that you've not only received the call to follow Jesus, but God's also been doing something else in your life, and you've never identified with it. You've never talked to anybody about it. You've never, you've never I mean, you've never went any further than, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And how many people, I wonder, have God, has God placed a special call on your life and you've missed it because of doubts and fears? Are you with me? How many of us have just become satisfied with walking in the doors on a Sunday morning, paying your dues and making sure that somebody sees you? Can I tell you that can I tell you that there's more to this life than this life? Can I tell you that there's more to this call than this call? Don't buy into that lie that your call to trust Jesus is all there is because there's more. And some of you know that, but you've been running. I love what Tozer said in a statement that he made in a book that he had written called God Tells the Man Who Cares. And I thought to myself, this, this says it so well. Because there's some people that view ministry or full-time ministry as a job. It's not a job. It's a calling. It's a calling. So you don't have to tell me what to do because I know what I'm supposed to do. Now, you may not agree sometimes with what I'm doing, but I know what God's called me to do. And I don't have to have anybody telling me or giving me a list of all those things. But this is what Tozer said. The true minister is not won by his own choice, but by the sovereign commission of God. From a study of the scriptures, one might conclude that a man, calls, a, man, a man God calls seldom or never surrenders to the call without considerable reluctance. The young man who rushes too eagerly into the pulpit at first glance seems to be unusually spiritual, but he may in fact only be revealing his lack of understanding of the sacred nature of the ministry. The old rule, don't preach if you can't, if you can't, uh, don't preach if you can get out of it, if correctly understood, is still a good one. The call of God comes from an insistence that will not be denied and can scarcely be resisted. Moses fought the call strenuously and lost to the compulsion of the Spirit within him, and the same may be said of others in the Scripture and since Bible times. Christian biography shows that many who later became great Christian leaders at first tried earnestly to avoid the burden of ministry, but I cannot offhand recall one single instance of a prophet having applied for the job. The true minister simply surrenders to the inward pressure and cries, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. What, what, what would it be like if if, if heritage was a place that 
You could not only identify with that call if, it were, if, if you had it, but you could experience it. What would happen if, if we heard God's voice as these did, and there was an environment that we could wrestle and work out that, that special calling that God might have on our lives? Luke goes on to say this in verse 3. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. So we have this gathering, the leaders from the church of Antioch, they're worshiping, fasting, and praying. And in the middle of that time, the Holy Spirit speaks and he said, listen, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work that I have called on, that, I have, they, that they have been called to. I want to give you three thoughts. You ready? Write these down. Number one. Worship, fasting, and prayer fuels the mission. Worship, fasting, and prayer fuels the mission. I want you to see what they were doing to begin with. They were gathered and they were worshiping. And what worship does, it positions and prepares the heart of the servant as well as the sender when our eyes are focused on the Lord. You know, you, when you grow up on a farm, it's hard, to, it's hard to plow a straight line if you're constantly looking behind you. You don't plow a straight line. I mean... If you're constantly looking behind you at the plow, man, you're just, it's going to be a mess. You've got to focus on something ahead. And are we focused on Jesus? Is, is, he, is, is he the center of our attention? Is he the center of our attention? Because it doesn't take very much to, to get distracted. I had a pastor call me the other day from out of town, and he, he said, Sid, let me, ask you, let me ask you a question. And in the midst of conversation, I just said to him, boy, you've been set up by the devil himself. I said, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Stay in the word. Pray, and you do what pleases the Lord, and forget about all that other junk. Because that, all that other stuff can lead you astray and distract you from what you're supposed to be doing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Here, the worshipers were focused on the Lord. That's why they were worshiping. It puts Jesus at the center. It prompts us to say, like I said a while ago, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Your plan over my plan, your will over my will, your stuff over my stuff, your agenda over my agenda. And it's sane for not only the, the servant, but as well for the sender. Second thing I want you to write down is the Holy Spirit prepared those that were called the Holy Spirit prepares the called. It said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. I have called them. It wasn't a good idea. It was God's idea. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what would take place. And those who are called by the Holy Spirit are prepared by the Holy Spirit. Here, listen to just some of the things that the Holy Spirit done in, does. And this is by in no means a, an exhaustive list. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Remember what Jesus was saying when he was getting ready to leave? He, he told the disciples, look, it's good for me to go because when I do, the Holy Spirit is going to come and the comfortable, comforter will convict you, convict the world of sin and the coming judgment. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. He reveals and helps us understand and interpret the Word of God. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and we find that through the writings of Paul, that those gifts are given to God's children so that the, the, the church may be equipped and may be built up. And whatever the Holy Spirit calls us to do, He prepares us. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Do you remember? 
And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And just as the Holy Spirit had called out Barnabas and Saul for the special work and he empowered him, he still is doing the same today. Same today. Just as the Holy Spirit appointed and called and sent out and prepared for Barnabas and Saul to go, he's still doing the same today. And as a result of that, the gospel is continuing to go and send ripple effects across the world. God's always working. The Holy Spirit is always at work. He's just waiting for us to respond. And the third thing, write this down. The church on mission is ascending church. After more fasting and prayer, it says in verse 3, the men laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. The church that is really serious about being on mission isn't just about what happens here on Sunday morning. They see the, the bigger picture of what God is doing the cultivation as well as the preparation because our focus isn't just about the gathering, it's about the sending. Do you know that every Sunday we send you out, we send you guys out to be disciples. We send you out to be ambassadors. We send you out into the world to make a difference. Every week that you're sent out, that's the way that you're sent. You, you go. You go. Meredith and I were having supper the other night with Anna arrangements just worked that way and we ended up at, a, at an establishment and, and there with us there was a, a single mom with two children on this side and there was a senior adult and another lady on this side and I noticed that one of the ladies looked familiar and uh, in the midst of the conversation I go that's where I saw her um, she has worked at the hospital for more than 25 years in the, in the, in the, uh, in the labor and delivery unit and she had been a part of all of our kids being, being born. And I, I said to her, wow, the number of children that you've seen birthed over the years. And she said, I've seen, I've seen a lot. And I began to think, you know what? You know, that's what God's called us to be. See, he's, he's called Heredith to be a birthing center an incubator. Not only a place for new believers to be born, but an incubator for believers to grow spiritually, to be able to share life and to serve, a place to be encouraged, equipped, and empowered to be witnesses, not only here in our sphere of influence, but to create an environment that opens the door to experience the call beyond the call for the ones within our midst that God has spoken to. A place of hearing that the, the special call above the call isn't abnormal, but we should anticipate it. It may not be vocational ministry to us. It may not be, a, it, it could be a pastor. It could be a worship leader. It could be traveling to another country to serve on mission. It might be a chaplain or another place of ministry. But Jesus said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. We have a responsibility as a church to cultivate and to expect that God would do something like that within our midst. Are we on the same page? It makes us uncomfortable because it might be some of you. I want to invite Steve and, and um, Grant to come up for a second. 
because I thought it would be good to have a conversation with two guys that I know of, and there are more, that are wrestling with this special call. And I'm not going to be long, but I just wanted to ask them a couple of questions. And um, here, grab these seats right here. I wanted to... um, I wanted to ask them some questions because I know God has been working in their lives for quite some time in reference to this call of ministry, a special calling beyond. Man, I'm shorter than y'all are. Better stand up. <laughs> and let me ask both of you guys this question. When, when, did you, when did you accept the initial invitation, the initial call? When did you receive Christ? When did you make that decision to follow Christ in your life, Steve? Uh, when I was in the fifth grade, my mom led me to the Lord. Fifth grade. Grant, what about you? Uh, I was about six years old, but I came to full understanding of what a relationship with Christ was in about 14. About 14. But, but, you, but somewhere along the line, there, there came this, this sense of, God, there's something more that you're calling me to. Um, that there was a call beyond the call, an invite beyond the invite. When did that? When when did you experience that? And can you tell me briefly about that experience, Grant? Uh, I was actually a teenager, about 16, 17 years old. Um, once again, I come to an understanding who Christ was, uh, realized He wanted a relationship with me, and that I always wanted to do more. I had the privilege of growing up in uh, under my father, who was a pastor, and uh, I was got. He, to, was he a good pastor? He was my pastor. He still, in many ways, is my pastor. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> but being in that position, I got to see and hear our, the church we lived at in Ohio uh, had many, many missionaries. And so I had the opportunity to sit and listen to these men and women come through and hear what the Lord was doing and just drawn, drawn to the fact of the missions. And then uh, at the age of 17, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Israel to live uh, when my parents were, they were teaching. And it, the Lord just spiritual growth and hit me with you know what? I have something for you. Um, follow me. Listen to me. Uh, and that's when it really started. So, decision for the Lord when you were how old? 14. 14 years old. Um, and so, around 17 or so, you begin to sense that there was more, yes. right? Yes. Um, okay. Steve, what about you? So, you made a decision when you were fifth grade. You were probably 11 years old, 10, 11 years old. What about you in reference to this special call? that maybe God had on your life? Well, first of all, it reminds me of uh, a, a YouTube video that, where uh, the lady said, I read Jesus, I didn't have no shoes on. <laughs> Y'all know the one I'm talking about. Uh, I ran for a long time, and it wasn't until 1997 that uh, I was encouraged to start doing short-term mission trips. And it was during that time that I was on mission uh, that God began to just prick my heart. And um, you know that there was something more for that. And, and so, and I've been walking that ever, ever since. And sometimes walking really close to the Lord, and there's been other times where I was not so close, and there's been some times these ups and downs, and and uh, but God has uh, been faithful even when I wasn't, 
He's been faithful. He, he stood right there next to me, and he had some friends that uh, were able to, to help me walk through that refining process, that refining fire, and uh, he's still working on me. And so, so, so you guys made a decision to follow Christ, and, but then there came that moment in time that you felt like there was more that God was calling you to. And here you are today. Um, Grant, how old are you? 32. You're 32. Steve, how old are you? 55. 55. Arrive alive at 55. So here's this call that had been placed on your life, and yet here you are now. What's happened in those years, and where are you at right now in your life? We don't have time. <laughs> it has been an incredible journey to get to this point of um, many times frustrating, uh, very difficult with, I was one of those people that after returned from Israel, I went to Bible college and they got to you and they had their missions conference. I was like, will you answer the call? Will you go out and serve the Lord? And I'm sitting here, yes, I will do it. And God said, okay, wait. For a decade, God said, wait. And I'm just this dog chomping in the bit, pulling on a leash going, how about now? How about now? Can we play? How about now? Can we go? And all that time, God was utilizing that time to train and grow me, but I couldn't even see that until now looking back. That, that was a time of, of growth, of developing skills, of growing more and more uh, close and intimate with him. Uh, and also then bringing people into my life that would speak into that. Um, there were multiple times of very low, God, <laughs> I have sensed this call in my life. I have drove to serve you and you won't let me you keep saying stay here work with the church work with the youth but you know what my heart passion is you know I want to be out there you know this is where I want to be why won't you let me am I wrong did I not hear the call of God <laughs> but God is faithful and he's amazing I'm so thankful for him because he brought people, he has people like my father, uh, who I go to and talk to. Steve, I love this brother because I go to him and I share my heart with him and he's critical and he's true. And he's like, this is what the Lord says. Are you doing this? Rob Sullivan comes to me and he looks at me and he goes, Grant, how are you doing today? And just pours into my life and saying, this is what the Lord says and able to encourage and do these things. And then God has just revealed himself in saying, this is what I have for you. And the fact is really cool. Am I allowed to continue what I'm doing now? I don't care. All right. Um, <laughs> it's really cool that through opportunities since actually I came back to Florida, uh, there was a huge time in life that um, very briefly, uh, I've always loved media. I've always loved video. I've done some video work for you for the church. I've worked for universities. I've worked uh, around many places doing video work, and I love it. Uh, Having been in the Middle East and being at home as a pastor, I see this disconnect between the church. So I want to figure out a way to better get the church to communicate with missionaries and vice versa so that the church can better be called to prayer and to hear and sense the calling and see what the Lord is doing around the world. And I'm like, there's got to be a good side to social media, right? So 
through video and through photography, I wanted to utilize that to share what God is doing around the world. And now we're doing it. Uh, we're going to Honduras in July with a small ministry called Mercy and Grace Ministries. We're making all new uh, production media materials for them for marketing, such so that people can better know what's going on, but we're also releasing then a series of videos uh, on YouTube about the country, about the people. It'll be t- about 20 minutes each. Just who are these people? What is God doing? They'll be fun. They'll be interesting. Actually, I really don't know entirely what they'll be because I haven't been there yet. So, but that's the first step, and that God has allowed and for funding and all these things to start coming in so they can start happening. And then beyond Honduras, uh, there's prayer right now about going to Nicaragua to do a follow-up video to what Heritage did there years ago, uh, and then beyond that. Um, but it, but it, it all goes, <laughs> and it's been this process of submission and surrender, yeah. not just the initial call to to for this special calling, but it's been this journey that you've been on, this journey of preparation where no, when God was saying no, he was saying, just, just, I got you. Yep. I got you. Steve, what about you? So here you are, you, you experience, you experience this call, but now, now where are you at and what's going on? Well, much like Grant, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I can tell you this, church, that, that Susan and I are still walking this out. Uh, God brought me to Disciple Christian Motorcycle Club um, for a specific purpose, and it's a large part of uh, what we do. Um, but not just that, it's, it's about being intentional every day right where you're at. We're all on mission and we all have a call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, e- even if you don't have a particular call, we're called as Christians to do that. And so I can tell you this, church, I spent a lot of time not doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. I told Sydney, uh, in, a, in a congregation this size, somebody is sitting right where Grant and I were sitting a long time ago. And God's calling you to something. The question is, is what are you going to do about that? I'm just a guy that spent a long time not doing that for the Lord. And praise God. David preached a message. When are you going to decide to decide? I've used that over and over. You got to decide to decide. And quite honestly, that's the only thing different with me. I'm a failure, but I'm God's failure. And we walk this out every single day. What does that look like from here out? I don't know. I'm trying to let God lead me day by day, and sometimes I take two steps back and three steps forward. But everybody here has a call to share Jesus Christ. But some of you, you know there's more, and he's speaking to you right now. You know, it's neat to know, because I think the story is familiar for those of us that have walked out that, and 
is that there's the initial call to follow then for some that special calling of what God may be doing, but it's a journey. And that journey is one of availability. And I remember a conversation that Steve and I had after, after a walk one day on a Saturday when I remember sharing with Steve what God had spoken to my heart. I can't, I can't show you the path unless I have first walked it. And for both of you guys, I think you're not only walking a journey and, and, and beginning to, to live out this call that you experience, and it'll come, it'll come, God's faithful. Amen. But you're also learning along this journey, and God is preparing you, he's holding you close, and you're, you're learning whether or not it's a good idea or if it's God's idea. Because I'm going to tell you, when the times of discouragement come, or you feel like you failed, or you feel like God hadn't showed up, the difference between a good idea and a God idea is persistence and perseverance. And I, and I say to you guys, and stay here for just a second. See, there's some of you here today that God's calling you to the call to the invite to follow him and to trust him. Amen. And that for you, that's your call today. Your call today is whether or not you're willing to surrender your life, to trust him, to follow him, to get out of the passenger seat and, or in the driver's seat and to give control over to God, to say, God, I, I want to give you control of my life. And for some of you, that's where you're at today. And some of you are at that place um, that, you, that you're at that place of wanting to make a decision. Where's Caleb? Caleb, come play for us. You're at that place right now and you know right now you've never made a decision to trust Jesus. You've never made that decision. You've never, you've never recognized your sin and repented of that sin and confessed your sin and, and, and asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. And today that may be you. I want to give you that option today, that opportunity for you to respond. For our overseers that are here, I want you to come today and if you'd stand here, Meredith, if you'd come, Dave, if you and Susan would come, um, Dan, if you would come, I want you guys just to stand here <laughs> because there may be some of you here today that have never made a decision. Alex, let's turn the lights up on the, the sanctuary this morning because there may be some of you here today that need to make that decision to trust Jesus. Mike Tucker, why don't you come and stand as well, please, just in case we have somebody that's here that wants to respond to this. And just as, just as Caleb plays, you don't have to wait on anybody. I'm just saying, if you're here today and you've never made a decision to trust Jesus, but today you're saying, I'm stepping out, I want to surrender my life, I want to trust Jesus, you can get up and come right now. You don't have to wait. You can come. If maybe, you want to, maybe you've got something you want to pray about. You can come right now and you can pray. But there are others of you here that are just like I was when I was 14 years old. You knew that God was calling you to to something different. You knew that there was a special call and you've been, maybe you've thought about it, you could have talked about it, maybe you've never told anybody about it, but you've known it. But you've been fearful to share anything. And just like Grant and, and Steve, there had to come that moment in time, they, they stepped over the line and said, Jesus, I surrender it all. I believe. I believe that you're calling me to a, a special call a special call for service or ministry. And, and maybe that's you today. And, and I'm not asking you to make any type of a commitment. I'm just asking you, would you be willing to even talk about that today? Just, just to come to one of these guys and say, man, I sense that in my life, but I've never told anybody. 
or maybe this is where I'm walking at right now. I feel like God's doing this in my life, and I just I want you to share. I want to share that with you. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? I want to give you that opportunity to respond today, and then we're going to close out. We're not going to wait a long time, and I'm going to ask if these that are standing, if they would continue to stand for a few minutes after we're done. But I want to ask you to stand with us. And if you're here today, and today you're here, and and you sense the need to, to accept the call, the invitation to follow Jesus, you've never made that decision, I'm just going to ask you to come. Or if you're here today, you'd like to pray, you're welcome to come and pray. Or if you're here today, and you sense God doing something in a special way in your heart for special work. He's called you to a special work. I want to give you the privilege of talking to, to one of these that are standing here. Father, I just pray that as we, as, we, as we stand here for a couple of minutes and contemplate what's being said to us, would be, we, we be willing to respond? Part of that Part, part of this surrender comes of understanding the significance of what you did. That's the first step. Recognizing what you've called us to. Then another part of that comes to the place, are we, willing, are we willing to surrender and submit our lives recognizing the call? Father, may we just listen to, to the Holy Spirit today and may we respond effectively over these next couple of minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and that's you, I'm just going to ask Caleb to play for a minute or two and sing, and you can respond if you'd like.